ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages at Beast Village Comedy Festival. How are you this early afternoon? Thank you for coming out. Welcome to the basement. Uh, we've got three great uh, live podcasts for you this afternoon, and uh, the first of them, really uh, please, I think this is the first time she's done this live, please welcome uh, the Bloody Mary podcast from Chicago, Illinois. It's Kristen Lighty, everybody. Welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies, feminism, and sexuality. I'm your host, Chicago comic Kristen Lighty, and we are live at Beast Village. This is the first time we've gone live, so I'm very excited. Um, I'm even more excited to bring up all your guests. We've got a great crew of people who are performing in Beast Village this weekend. Clap it up for them. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Let's get right into it. Let's bring up your first guest. She is a fabulous comedian. Clap it up right now for Becky Bronstein. Yeah. yeah. Becky, super excited to have you on. I'm Why don't you introduce to be here. yourself? Introduce myself. Uh, hello, my name is Becky Bronstein. I'm a comedian, originally from Eagle River, Alaska, now residing in Portland, Oregon. You may have seen me at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival, Big Sky Comedy Festival, several other festivals. The oh, Beast shit. Village Festival, huge Woo! deal, yeah. going on right now. And uh, my mom is very proud of me. Awesome. <laughs> Clap it up for Becky's mom. Yeah. Nice lady. <laughs> um, so Becky chose the movie to talk about today, 28 Days Later. Yes. Uh, which is, if for those of you who haven't seen it, get out there, see it. Uh, a group of misguided animal rights activists free a caged chimp infected with the rage virus from a medical research lab. When a London bike courier wakes up from a coma after a month, he finds the city all but deserted. On the run from the zombie-like victims of the rage, Jim stumbles upon a group of survivors, including Selena and cab driver Frank, and joins them on a perilous journey to what he hopes will be safety. That was a very sensational description. Thank you. Uh, what made you chick, uh, pick 28 Days Later? Uh, you know what? I just really enjoyed it. It's, uh, I wouldn't describe it as a, like a scary, terrifying film, but it's just really well made. It's cool. It's got a lot of like, visual stuff that's neato, good music. Like, it's an interesting... I'm really into like, kind of post-apocalyptic stuff and, like, I don't know, like zombies. Like, I'm always kind of rooting for the zombies because like, I feel like <laughs> there's... <laughs> no, no, no. There's like, some background there because... Like, Maybe this is like too weird, and like we're just jumping no, right go into this. There, but we got go a short there. thing here. Yeah. I'm I'm a cancer survivor. Um, I had oh. metastatic thyroid cancer, and so they had to take out my thyroid. Stay with me here. This is super exciting. Um, I I now have to take a pill every day for the rest of my life to live, and I've been oh. thinking like in a post-apocalyptic scenario, zombies for me would be the best situation because I could kind of like follow behind them and like eat the thyroids that they leave behind <laughs> to survive. You know what I mean? Like, I've sided with the zombies, 100%. I'm going to profit from the death and destruction they unleash. You know what I mean? I'll be yeah. like the Dick Cheney of the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, why fight it? You can just jump in there and profit it. off it. Sure. Definitely. Um, I'm particularly interested in how you felt about Selena, the character. She, she's great. She's, she's kind of the leader of the pack, I feel like, all the mm -hmm. way through, right? Because she's... She's explaining to Jim, like, you know, you got to kill somebody. If they get that look in their eyes, they got to go. You know, like, she's not messing around. Like, she will totally... I believe she would have killed him in a heartbeat. Oh, I yeah, really definitely. Do. Yeah. She, she, she had it all together. Yeah, she was... She, I, I, I'm into that. You got to be ready. You can't just, like, sit down and cry when crisis strikes. And she just picked up her machete and was like, let's do this, you know? I love the first time she met Sam, they were kind of talking back and forth, and she said, oh, what, you think we're just going to fall in love and fuck? Like, look yeah. at the world around us. And I was like, oh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yep. I feel like too often horror movies try to ram in a love story, and it's yes. done in such a patronizing way. I'm just... I hate that. Yes, so. and the women are always like screaming for help and like dying in a blood curdling like, you know, she was like, no way, man. She was saving him, you know? That was real cool. Mhm. Mm I also love uh like post-apocalyptic imagery, um especially that scene where Sam wakes up, which I didn't realize with like rewatching this this week, Walking Dead really ripped that off. Do you think I haven't watched The Walking Dead? That like that's how I it should. begins with the sheriff waking up in the hospital and then walking around and seeing the town gone. Really? Mm, oh 
2002, oh 28 no, Days man, Later did it. I'm going to get so much hate mail. Uh, <laughs> Sweet. I've never, I've never gotten any hate mail. Oh, it's, uh, you know, it makes Please you feel, feel like you're doing something some. in the world. You I'd know? love that. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also love that imagery of Sam waking up and walking around an empty town. Cause, you mean Jim? Uh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, like, kind of explain <gasps> oh my to you God. right now. But, like, you are right. Oh. It is Jim. I mean. So sorry. Minutia. Details. <laughs> I like the name Sam, I guess. I don't Do you? Know. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, but when Jim wakes up and is walking around, I always feel like that when I'm hungover. Like, Do you? <laughs> I feel like that all the time. Just in my <laughs> daily life, just looking around and it's like, what? what? planet am I on? Because I, I don't know. I feel like I can't relate to people. And I feel like I may as well just be walking through an apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> I love that. I kind of felt like that the other night. Like after the, the first shows on Friday night, we were in the middle of the night. We we're walking around these like mall parking lots. There was this mist that had descended over the town. There were like no people. I love that. That's my shit. Nice. Um, so I'm curious, how do you feel about horror as a genre altogether? Do you like it? Uh, I do, yeah. I, uh, I'm not easily scared, I think. Like, the typical sort of, like, slasher movie, like, Friday the Jason Teenth. Like, that's not really my... I mean, no, you know, disrespect, but, like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm kind of more scared by, like, kind of plausible, psychological kind of things. Like, you know, those, like, hill people scare me. Like, oh, Texas yeah. Chainsaw, Hills Have Eyes kind of stuff. Like, kind of, oh, I don't know. Like, I feel like they're out there. I feel like that might be... They are out I there. <laughs> I mean, guy in a hockey mask, what are the chances? You know what I mean? I've never even seen a hockey mask in real life. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Where am I going with this? No, I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm definitely into that sort of like kind of dark. Like, they tend to be kind of visually artistic, which I enjoy, like, you know, kind of dynamic things to look at. I think it's cheating when they kind of do those like jump out at you, like visual effects, but that does work. You know, like the ring when that girl was like coming at you, rah, you know, and mm-hmm. they'd flash them on a screen real quick, like, yeah, that gotcha. gets me every time. But yeah. I also, what I really liked about this film is how much the director kind of paid an homage to George Romero in it. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Like you have definitely Selena being pretty much, I think, the only person of color, um, which felt like representative of Ben in Night of the Living Dead. And the, the happy shopping scene, which I love that so much. I love that too. <laughs> that song that plays during that scene, by the way, is one of my favorite songs. Yeah, this film had excellent it's music. Great soundtrack. Yeah, it's it's well made. It's like very artistic. I mean, Danny Boyle, the director, of course, you know, is going to do an artistic masterpiece, which is cool. You don't. I mean, you don't see a lot of that sort of thing in. I don't know, like modern day. I, I feel like a lot of recent horror movies are kind of just getting cranked out a little bit. Just. No, you're right. And And even for its time in 2002, it was like the revival of the torture porn is what we are seeing a lot of in America. Yikes. Yeah. Hostile in those kinds of movies. Hostile. Oh, my God. Yeah, that messed me up, man. Holy Mm -hmm. shit. Because I'm so freaked out about like medical procedures and like going to the dentist. And I feel like they amplified that a little bit with like (laughs) terrible, (laughs) gruesome murders. Not maybe not the same thing, but in my mind, you know what I mean? I do. Oh, God. Well, Nova can go a long way there. It has been lovely having you to talk about 28 Days Later. Any final thoughts on the movie? Final thoughts on the movie. Call your senators. Please vote. Ha ha. That was was a trick. It wasn't about the movie. (laughs) Sneaks it in there. No, yeah. 28 Days Later is is great. It's it's recent, but it's still great. Visual feast. Love it. Mm Pro-zombies. Pro-people, too. I'm not saying, like, you know. Um, Call your senators. (laughs) Clap it up for Becky, everybody. All right, next I want to welcome to the stage Brian Bahi. I feel like a game show host. Hey. Hello, how are you? Beast Village, what's up? (laughs) Okay, so for us to talk about today, you chose I Know What You Did Last Summer. And uh, this is a film about a year after running over a fisherman and dumping his body in the water, four friends reconvene when Julie receives a frightening letter telling her that their crime was seen. Uh, Mm -hmm. While pursuing who he thinks is responsible for the letter, Barry is run over by a man with a meat hook. The bloodletting only increases from there as the killer with the hook continues to stalk Julie, Helen, and Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm so sorry, Brian. Why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, uh, I'm Brian Bahi. Um, I am a New York City-based comedian, originally from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I have a podcast called UFOlogy, where we talk about UFOs. It's very fun, very goofy. 
very silly and uh, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I love Phoenix, actually. I was just there for Bird City, and uh, I was thinking about maybe moving there. It's Whoa. so warm. <laughs> so Whoa. warm and nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hot, though. Mm. It's warm, but it's also hot. Mm. I like it. Um, so you picked what I know what you did last summer. What about this movie spoke to you and made you want to pick it? Um, I remember seeing it at a very tender young age, and it affected me in a way that uh, it combined a lot of my favorite things, which was uh, being like a teenager that looked cool. <laughs> I, as a child, I was like, I can't wait to be a teenager. Uh, and then like being <laughs> being chased. <laughs> I was like, but getting away, I was like, that seems fucking cool as hell. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and then just like, I don't know, just like nighttime is cool. <laughs> I was just like, I was just a, a dumb like loser kid. So I was like, <laughs> I think like, that we all were all right? of this <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it combined a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. And it like it had uh, rewatchability potential. Like I, re I saw it a bunch of times and I just thought it was like a fun time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to say, I really wanted the killer to be Freddie Prince Jr., uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that was where the movie was headed for a while. Like, yeah. they wanted it to be him. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is him. Oh, I haven't seen the other ones, so, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I have to admit, I have not seen this film really? before I watched it for this. Oh, yes. so you did see it? I did, Did yes. you like it? Uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Did it feel like um, super dated, like of the time of the 90s? Uh, I was a teenager in the 90s, so it kind of felt like home. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, but it was hard to watch because I just kept wanting Sarah Michelle Gellar to kick everyone's ass. Right, exactly. Like, Come on, Buffy. I think that had a lot to do with it too, yeah, because I was like, she's in Buffy, I, she knows what's up, but she ends up, you know, spoiler, but she gets hooked. Oh, yeah, we go full-on spoilers in Bloody yeah. Mary. So I hope you saw this movie from 1997. <laughs> <laughs> what were the themes in this film that really stood out to you? Um, just like, I don't... Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> One that jumped out at me particularly was this idea of like, you know, which is really common in most horror movies about virtue and purity. And like right. um, those two characters, Julie and Ray got yeah. to live. And the other two, the other couple were just like horrible assholes. Right. <laughs> Which I kind of love that about them. Like, I, yeah. And also it seemed like it starts off weird because they're like partying teens and then like that's the whole thing that gets them into this weird situation. Yeah. So like growing up Catholic, I was like, oh, that's why you shouldn't <laughs> drink and drive. You're going to end up in a horror film. <laughs> You know, I have to say, too, like, this film, like, making the imagery of a fisherman evil kind of ties in with, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, like, making meatpacking people look really <laughs> evil. And, like, yeah, why does service. America hate work? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the food service industry is really just, like, full of murderers. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I was like, my family has worked at packing plants. Like, <laughs> <we're> not, <laughs> What haven't not, they yeah. told you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I did enjoy watching this. I, I particularly loved how evil um, Sarah Michelle Gellar and her boyfriend were. Like, part of me was like, yeah. why do they hang out with them? I mean, the her boyfriend is Ryan Felipe. Felipe? I don't know how you say his last name. Yeah. Uh, Philippe? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's like he's like the rich like playboy type. It's total. So jack. he's like. Totally, yeah, he plays into, his character plays into that as being, like, a dick. <laughs> and then I feel like Sarah Michelle Gellar is just, like, she's she straddles that line between being, like, a dick but also just being kind of wanting to go with her gut of doing the right thing. She reminds me of that girl in high school that was um, the girlfriend of the jock, and when her jock boyfriend was beating someone up, she'd be like, <laughs> don't, right. stop, but <laughs> do it. Yeah. yeah. And she also, like, works in a perfume place now after college because, like, the movie is, like, set, like, the year after college or whatever, mm -hmm. or after high school, after they graduate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did enjoy her relationship with her sister. Like, 
I don't remember what, what her happened. sister was just a huge bitch to her. Oh <laughs> and, yeah, like, her put sister her in her dies, place. Right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I remember. Okay. Yeah, and I love that Sarah Michelle Gellar like wins that uh, beauty pageant. Yeah. And yeah. then like wears the crown out to the party. <laughs> like, <laughs> fucking look at me. <laughs> Honestly, I would do that too. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody get this man a crown. <laughs> I'm just waiting to get a crown. <laughs> um, my favorite scene in the movie is when. Um, the what are you waiting for scene. Do you remember that? When she like screams in the street, what are you waiting for? After she finds a body in her trunk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like she just out of nowhere, <laughs> she runs into the middle of the street and screams, what are you waiting for? To like in the middle of the day in a <laughs> suburb. And I'm just like, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> We've all been there. Oh, I felt so bad for uh, the character that ended up in the trunk with the crabs. Like, he also played Darlene's boyfriend on oh, Roseanne. Yeah. I feel like his role in all film and movie is just like, is <laughs> you get shit on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. His, what's his name? I want to say David. No. Okay. I Never. love that I do a podcast about movies and I cannot <laughs> tell you any actor's name ever. Like, do not remember it. All right. Any final thoughts on I Know What You Did Last Summer? Um, it's a solid 9 out of 10 movie. Uh, go check it out. The sequel's very good. It has Brandy in it. Ooh. And, <laughs> and I found out there was a straight-to-DVD third movie. <laughs> so you know it's good. So you know it's good. <laughs> Uh, no, that's it. Thank you so much for awesome. having me. Awesome. Clap it up for Brian. <laughs> All right. Next to the stage, I want to welcome Amanda Golub. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hey, Amanda. How about you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Amanda Golub. I'm a comedian out of New Orleans, and I'm really excited to be here for Beast Village. It's been a ton of fun, and y'all yeah. are awesome. Awesome. Uh, so for us to talk about today, Amanda chose What Lies Beneath from 2000. Oh, I heard the crowd. All right. All right. <laughs> Picked a good one. It'd been a year since Dr. Norman Spencer betrayed his beautiful wife, Claire. But with Claire oblivious to the truth, Norman's life and marriage seem so perfect that when Claire tells him of hearing mysterious voices and seeing a young woman's image in their home, he dismisses it, her terror as delusion. Claire moves closer to the truth, and it becomes clear that this apparition will not be dismissed and has come back for Dr. Spencer and his beautiful wife. <laughs> so, what made you choose What Lies Beneath? Uh, a lot of reasons. When, I, when you first said horror movie, the, one of the first things I thought of was when I went to see this movie, I was in high school, and uh, my parents are both from New York, so we went to a theater in Brooklyn to see this, and this was the first time I was in one of those theaters where people yell at the screen. <laughs> And this was such a good movie to yell at the screen because Michelle Pfeiffer makes a lot of mistakes throughout, you know, when she's trying to get away. Um, especially there's a scene when Harrison Ford has the phone. This is like before cell, like they had a cell phone, but it didn't work till they reached a bridge. So they basically oh, yeah. like didn't have a cell phone. It was one of those old flip ones and you had to turn it on. You had to wait for like five dots to come on it, um, which is perfect for horror movies. Like it made a really great suspense. But he has their house phone in his pocket and it's on and it's just that busy tone. So she has to actually reach that phone and, and turn it off or turn it back on to call 911. But instead of like leaving at any point or their neighbor clearly like, because she had some issues with the neighbor, the neighbor could have seen them the whole time. No, she decides to like reach over his pocket um, while he's laying on the ground bloody thinking like he might be dead or he might not be. And guess what? He wasn't. Don't <laughs> um, so, you know, those were the kind of scenes that were awesome to be in a packed theater in Brooklyn with people being like, get the fuck out, bitch. <laughs> and I was young and my mom was like, close your ears. <laughs> I also loved her, Michelle Pfeiffer's internet sleuthing. Oh, um, yeah. That she did, like, seeing that the 90s computers. Yeah, like, first oh. of all, the actual computer, and then the loading up of the, like, very old-school <laughs> website. Um, but somehow she found what she was looking for. I thought she was going to, like, the whole movie would just be, like, an hour of her Google searching. Or, I guess, Yahoo, that was before Google. I don't know. And I that would just feel be like a lot it was of the suspense. <laughs> I mean, I also, I also like, there's like, you know, we're talking about feminism here, like, Nora, like, her husband cheats on her and then murders the chick that he cheated on his wife with, and then the, she comes back from the dead to, like, help Michelle out. Like, what, what better, like, women backing each other up, like, from the fucking dead? Like, <laughs> it, I, I hope it's a true story. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> 
Yeah, part of me feels like this movie was made be just because Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford are so beautiful together. <laughs> I was like, who in America doesn't want to see that? Yeah, well, that's what my mom yelled at the screen was, how could you cheat on Michelle Pfeiffer? <laughs> she was very upset about that, uh, for sure. Also, Harrison Ford's the bad guy. Like, when do you get to see that? He's always saving people, and in this one, he gets to be evil. And I feel like he had, I feel like he had personally had fun doing that. Like fucking with Michelle Pfeiffer, like no, mm -hmm. very rare that that's going to happen on screen. Yeah, I do love how you brought up like there was so much about this film that was Michelle Pfeiffer reaching out to other women, even you know, like as you pointed out from Beyond the Grave. Yeah. Um, but like when her friend came over and they did the séance, that was fun. <laughs> oh yeah, the séance was great. Her friend was fun too. Um, the only thing with her friend that I didn't like that was her friend had actually seen Harrison Ford with this chick. Mm -hmm. um, and decided not to say anything because she decided that Harrison Ford loved Michelle Pfeiffer so much, Claire, I'll use the character names, loved her so much that he saw that, it, it, she saw that in his eyes and therefore like she was like, eh, I'll just forget about this cheating thing. But she did tell her when it was important. Mm -hmm. But also what kind of blew me away with the plot is that Michelle Pfeiffer could forget all of this. Yeah, amnesia is always very important to a lot of horror films. There's there's a lot of films where like it just comes back to them in one flash, you know, and they're like, oh shit, yeah, that did happen. Um, but yeah, that was important for the plot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm curious, are there any other themes that jumped out at you about this film? Um, I mean, that was the, the big thing for me was just like the, the women getting together. And then also like, the, like people think she's like immediately Michelle Pfeiffer's like, I think I see this dead chick and everyone's like, you're kind of losing it. And then, like, that seemed, like, perfectly acceptable. And I feel like if the roles were reversed and Harrison Ford was like, dude, I saw a ghost, people would at least take it, like, think about it before they'd be like, no, you're just crazy, Norman. It's almost if this ghosts represent mm -hmm. something else. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes it still relevant today. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I actually, I had not seen this movie before I had watched it for the podcast, so thank you for bringing this into my life. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, it was really fun to watch. Um, but yeah, I do, <laughs> I think, I'm trying to think of my favorite scene, and it has to be the, the end where we actually do see the woman come back from the grave, and take out Harrison Ford. Yeah, and also, I mean, water is also like a really prominent theme throughout speak, I don't know, there's a water noise <laughs> happening right now. Uh, I didn't plan that. Uh, but I was, yeah, so at the end, um, there, their truck goes off the bridge and um, they're, they're drowning. And of course, Michelle Pfeiffer is like, I'm just going to die, basically. Um, but then Madison comes back to life and, and helps Michelle Pfeiffer and holds Harrison Ford down. So she holds the patriarchy down, yeah. uh, you know, while Michelle Pfeiffer reaches the, the surface and survives. Um, but there's also, and I don't know, when I was a kid, it freaked me out when I was younger, that the scene in the bathtub where he basically like knocked her out with chlorophyll or oh whatever. Oh my God, yeah. And then puts her in the bathtub and then basically like, confesses everything to her and thinks she's going to die and she's just in there and she can like she's conscious and she knows what's happening but her body can barely move um and she's able to you know get it she got she got kind of lucky I guess Madison helped her out with that too where he saw Madison and then he slipped and fell on the ground and then um you know she's able to use her toe which kind of reminded me of Kill Bill when she's mm -hmm. like coming out of the coma and is like wiggle like big toe wiggle um and that kind of thing but you know, that, that freaked me out, the idea that, like, your brain is conscious and your body, you can't make your body respond. Like, that to me is, is so scary. Yeah, and a really good metaphor for, like, druggings and sexual assault as well, I think. Uh, hey, <laughs> happy times. <laughs> yeah, the water, like, as a murder weapon was scary to me, too. Like, I've always kind of been afraid of, like, drowning in open water. So that... Uh, that struck me as really scary. Plus, it's like just something, you know, like being murdered by your husband in your own bathtub. It's like, that's especially violating, you know. Oh, yeah, and especially, and he set it up. He, you know, he pretended like he got shocked in the bathtub with the blow dryer prior to that. So he kind of had this foreshadowing. Um, and he thought he was in control, and he, and he wasn't at the end of the day, which was really cool. Mm. I mean, it took a ghost, but we did stop him. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts on what lies beneath? Um, I think everyone should see it. I saw it, like I said, when I was a kid in, in Brooklyn, and then I watched it again just to, you know, refresh myself for this, and I still think it holds up. Like, I thought it was fucking great. Um, Robert Zemeckis directs it, Back to the Future, Castaway. Like, it's, you know, he does a lot of, like, Hitchcock things in it that when you're watching it as an adult, you kind of pick up on. So it's cool, and I think everyone should see it. 
Awesome. Thank you for stopping by and doing the podcast. Clap it up for Amanda. Thank you. All right. Next, let's welcome to the stage Kathy Humes. Yeah. Hello. Hey, welcome and happy to have you. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, hi, thanks for having me. I'm Kathy Humes. Uh, I am a comedian based out of New York City, and I'm super excited to be in Des Moines. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. All right, so Kathy chose for us to talk about uh, America's Sweetheart, uh, <laughs> Freddy Krueger, 1984's Nightmare on Elm Street. Woo. Yeah, and do I need to do uh, a write-up on this? You all, you all know it, Who right? Who doesn't know this yes. movie? Let's yeah. just jump in. Absolutely. Um, I love this movie, and even as a child, I, I didn't see the whole thing, but just seeing snippets of Freddy was enough to scare the shit out of me and put him in my like consciousness for life. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm curious, what made you pick, why is Nightmare on Elm Street your favorite movie? Um, well, it's, uh, it like definitely affected me because I saw it when I was pretty young. It was actually like the first Halloween that I was like not allowed to go trick-or-treating anymore. Oh. Uh, I stayed home and I, and I turned, I just was like flipping through the channels and there was a Nightmare on Elm Street marathon. Uh, so I, I, I watched this movie for the first time and uh, it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I was like 11 years old. Uh, and it, I think it also like like what Brian was saying earlier was like fascinating to me because I was at that age where I like love teenagers and want to be a teenager <laughs> really bad. Um, it also has like interesting sort of like anti-parent themes oh, in it, yeah. which I think like resonates with like a 12 year old a lot, like because <laughs> you are getting to that age where you're just like, no, nah, leave me alone, mom. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, oh, the mom's a bitch just like my mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think also like I am a person who really enjoys sleeping. <laughs> mm. uh, so the idea of not being able to sleep is like it's just its own horror movie for me. Mm -hmm. um, so that definitely affected me, too. Yeah, speaking of Nancy's mom, like she was just such a mess. Yeah, <laughs> oh my God. Great actress, by the way, you yes, guys. Yes, wonderful. Yeah. I love it, like when she was meeting with the doctor and just like lit up a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, she's like constantly nursing a cigarette or like pouring herself a highball. Like, you her know. vodka is always chilled. Like, yes. Always. It's the, she like takes it out of her bedroom nightstand and it's like. <laughs> yeah, it's the classic like blonde hot mom, you know, who, who's chugging vodka <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she's great. She's, uh, she's, she's great at being that like oppressive parental force in that. Yeah. Um, the little Stepfordy wife too. Yeah, totally. Right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. It was fantastic. Uh, Nancy, the main character really like leads the whole story. Yeah. And I feel like in that anti-parent sentiment, it's also like everyone around Nancy is not listening to her. Yeah, no, totally. Like she, I, I, she, she's a great, strong female protagonist, which mm -hmm. I love. I feel like that's like a, a, like a theme in a lot of slasher movies is like having it centered around a female character. And like, I just, I love the fact that she's the one who's like making all the plans and like she sets all the booby traps at the end and stuff. And like, I don't know, it's great to like, sort of like have a, have a, especially like for a movie that's like, pretty old at this point like to have a nice strong female character like that is is refreshing yeah i agree i especially loved uh when freddie got the sledgehammer in the gut oh yeah <laughs> yeah dude that was great yeah that almost felt like comedic like uh yeah yeah no it definitely has some great like uh some great kills mm -hmm. there's some great kills in that movie too like the johnny depp death is really <laughs> like iconic when he gets sucked into the bed and then the, the blood geyser comes out or whatever like that seeing that at like 12 i was just like oh my god like that was yeah. just like mind-blowing oh and nancy's first friend's death as well uh, t uh tina i think yeah um yeah, she she uh, also like has the whole. She gets dragged up the the ceil to the ceiling and and spins around. It's it's the special effects are actually kind of awesome for for the era. It's it's really impressive. Definitely. Yeah, and of course it's right after she has sex uh, that 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 she in that postcoital sinful glow that she uh, has her life ended. Which I also love that her boyfriend like they're not even trying to like pussyfoot around the like sexual themes. Like the bad boy like sexual boyfriend is named Rod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they're like not pulling any punches. Mm -hmm. I feel like there were so many threats to Nancy's purity in the film too. Like 
specifically from Freddy, and it's my favorite line in any horror movie ever, where Freddy says, I'm your boyfriend now. Yeah. <laughs> I love saying that to people. Yeah, or like when she's in the bathtub and the glove comes up oh, from between yeah, yeah, her yeah. legs, like mm. that's a very like sort of evocative image too. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of really like great like sort of like scary images like that that stick with you. Mm-hmm. Um, like my, what is your favorite scene in this film? I think the first kill is the one that like stuck with me the most. The one where she gets where she is dreaming and like at first you don't realize it's that she's dreaming and then because she like she wakes up to I think like she wakes up to like an alarm clock or something, but she's in a dream and it's one and I've had that experience where you wake up in a dream and think that you're awake for real, Uh, and that's like a terrifying thing because then all of a sudden something weird happens and you're like oh I'm still dreaming like and and for her it's like Freddie shows up and starts chasing her and like and then you know the scene where, you know, Rod is in the bed with her and sees her fly up into the air and get the slashes across her chest and stuff. It's just like, that was like, because that's like the first, you know, introduction of Freddie and it just like terrorized me, gave me nightmares for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially when he's walking down that alley and his arms Dragging. keep growing yeah. and you can't escape him. Yeah, his, his embrace <laughs> is just ever widening. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's super scary. I also, uh, I thought it was interesting... Um, the, the way that they figure out how to, like, defeat him uh, is, like, you know, they, he has the whole... He sort of gives her the hint or whatever mm-hmm. uh, where he's like, oh, I heard that, like, you know, in, this, in these, like, Balinese cultures or whatever, you just have to turn your back on the monster in your nightmares and, uh, and they'll, uh, they'll shrink away or whatever. And I mm-hmm. thought... We were talking about this a little bit uh, before the, the podcast, but, like, um, there's this thing called the gray rock method, which is like a thing in psychology where like if you are like in an abusive relationship, uh, you, you're basically like doing the same thing. You like you shut off to that person and like just like be monotone and don't re- respond with like monosyllabic phrases and be boring and just sort of like turn your back on the person if, mm-hmm. essentially. And it's like so it's like an interesting like sort of metaphor in that a little bit of like uh, if a psychopath is uh, trying to hurt you, just just all you have to do is turn around and walk away. You know, yeah. just. It really because she says she's like, um, and also it it felt like in that ending a very good metaphor for ending a bad relationship where I forget the thing she says exactly, but it's like, you aren't shit. Right. Yeah. Basically. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Like, like just basically let them know you're not gonna like let them have power over you anymore. And uh, and and so that was like a very kind of empowering moment when she finally like just turns her back. Yeah, and then I wish it ended right there. I know, totally. I mean, well, because I feel like they had to. They they felt like they had to do that thing that a lot of horror movies do, where you're like, and then everyone lives happily ever after. Psych! Everybody's dead. Like, yeah. you know, like they did that one. One of those. Yeah, it was also representative, though, of what happens when you do try to like turn off to that person. Sometimes right. an abuser will come back. Let your guard down a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and he'll uh, that car scene, and like it was so comedic as well. No, totally. And, yeah. Like that he just like reaches in and like tears her out of the car <laughs> yeah yeah it's super intense and I love mom getting like like she mom is on the porch waving goodbye and then <laughs> she's just like sucked through this like teeny tiny window yeah <laughs> yeah no it's it's pretty great it has some great iconic like I think like stuff that you ended up seeing repeated in a lot of horror movies after that like we were, you know you were just talking about what lies beneath Mm-hmm. Another iconic bathtub scene. Oh, you know. definitely. They love bathtubs in horror movies. <laughs> it's where you're most vulnerable. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> you're washing your bits. All right. Uh, any final thoughts on Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Wes Craven is the master of horror for a reason. Um, give it a watch. His body of work is awesome. So, yeah, definitely check it out. Awesome. Kathy Hughes, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next we want to welcome to the stage, Matt Levy. Yeah. Hey. Thank you very much. Hello. Hey, thanks for doing the podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself to these folks? My name is Matt Levy. I am also from New York by way of Arizona, but I'm not Brian Bahi. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We actually went to high school across a canal from each other. Oh. Yeah. All of my facts are about Brian Bahi. (laughs) 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 fantastic uh for us to talk about matt chose the gift um which this one is like 2015 i had not seen it before the podcast and uh was 
it was good. <laughs> it blew me away. Uh, right? Yeah. It's, when married couples Simon and Robin unexpectedly encounter Gordo, an acquaintance from Simon's past, little do they know that their perfect lives will be thrown into terrifying tailspin. At first, Simon doesn't recognize Gordo, but after a troubling series of uninvited encounters and mysterious gifts, a horrifying secret emerges. As Robin learns what really happened between Simon and Gordo, she begins to question how well she knows her spouse. And given that you went to high school with Brian Bahi. <laughs> <laughs> How well do we know him? <laughs> uh, so what made you choose the gift to talk about today? Well, one of my favorite things to do, uh, and I've only done it once uh, recently, is I like to go into the library and choosing 10 movies and watching three of them and then returning them for late fees, uh, like two months later. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Supporting public libraries. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I chose The Gift because it was the one I wanted to watch first that particular time, and it really blew me away because if you're a dick, give it up. If you, if you feel like you're ever a dick, <laughs> let's hear some love. If you feel like you... Like, we're all dicks occasionally. This movie is about the plight of being a jerk. <laughs> like, talking behind someone's back and getting your comeuppance. Like, or the, the villain getting his comeuppance. It's really ambiguous who the villain is. It's a, I think it's a beautiful kind of messed up movie. It is. It really, it, it blew me away. Um, I was, I kind of saw the ending coming. Um, you know, in Bloody Mary, Wait, we go on full spoilers. Crazy. Yeah. Okay. So, who's seen this film here? Uh, okay, two, a few three. The okay. ending is nuts. <laughs> if you think the ending is nuts, let's hear a big woo. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> so, essentially, what we have is like a high school feud that ends with um, the Rape? yeah, basically yeah, one of the weird. characters drugs the other character's wife and impregnates her, and then they have a baby. Fucked up. That's like the last three minutes, and up to that point, it's like a great psychological thriller. And then the end is like, I don't know if I like this anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the end. You just want to go hug someone you love. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Robin's character jumped out at me a lot because she is this, she's the wife of Jason Bateman, who is the prick, and yeah. she doesn't know she married a prick. So um, she's just trying to be, like, nice to everyone, and, like, she herself kind of suffers from social anxiety. So when she meets Gordo, this guy that Jason Bateman went to high school with, yeah. um, she's, like, really inviting to him and, like, trying to be accommodating and nice. And, like, as a woman, I felt like I always do that, and I don't know why. Like, even for people I don't like, I'm just like, well, let me give you my house and my bed and come and... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and all the men in her life in this movie are horrible, too. Yeah, So horrible. Uh, but Gordo, um, I'm curious, like, all these characters are pretty terrible, but who's your favorite? <laughs> I don't even really think about the movie so much, just as Bateman and how my girlfriend and I reference Jason Bateman's character in this movie all the time. Anytime we're talking about someone behind their back, we'll just be like, uh, you're being a Bateman right now. Oh! And... <laughs> I actually have a story where I was so Bateman, and sh I feel like I should get it on record, but oh, I did something kind of messed up. Uh, most people in this room are stand-ups of some kind, and we've all been to a horrible, like, midnight mic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like a really bad mic, and uh, I went up after this guy who was visiting from Israel, and he had a horrible set, but he had a pizza box with him the whole time and never explained it. <laughs> So I went up like two people after him and I was just ripping on the room and I said, what's the deal with the pizza box? And he said, it's actually a funny story. And I was like, you know what? Your set sucked. I don't want to hear it. Oh. I Bateman so hard. Oh. I can't believe I did. And I felt so bad. So I ended up taking the train with him afterwards and uh, we became very good friends. I actually, I gave him a hug. I was like, can I hug you, man? Because I felt so bad. <laughs> But Bateman never has that recourse. He, like, beats up this guy, and Bateman is much smaller than him, which is really weird, and I think it was kind of to frame Bateman later in well, the movie. Well, especially he went to have that conversation to apologize yeah. and then ended up just beating him up instead. <laughs> uh, it is... He's a horrible person. It was hard to watch because I love Jason Bateman as Michael from Arrested Development. and um, Michael's kind of a bad guy, too. It's kind of a play on that. He talks shit about every character in Arrested <laughs> Development. 
Oh my God, you're like, right. Like you can look at Michael as the protagonist of Arrested Development or the villain. Like you can interpret it multiple ways. I prefer Buster as the protagonist. I feel like I'm just starting to fully realize how evil Jason Bateman is. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. He's a monster. I haven't seen Ozark, but is he a monster in that too? Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't root for Bateman. <laughs> You've been fooled. Uh, uh, any final thoughts on the gift? Um, yeah. Uh, it came from Blumhouse Pictures, so it was made for like $4 million. Oh, wow. Yeah, so those are the guys that did like Get Out, Split, um, I think The Visit. So they're kind of like coming up. It's mm. pretty cool that... These guys are making, like, amazing movies for so cheap. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Awesome. Well, it's been great having you. Give yeah. it up for Matt Levy. <laughs> All right, next, let's welcome to the stage Sarah Maddox. <laughs> hey, Sarah, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, my name is Sarah Maddox. I'm a local Des Moines comedian. I'm also co-host of Brunch with the Basics every mm. second Sunday right here in the basement of the Des Moines Social Club. Awesome. All right, for us to talk about today, Sarah chose Ginger Snaps. Yeah. Uh, I just wish I had a sister. <laughs> uh, Ginger Snaps, for those of you who don't know, is the story of two outcast sisters, Ginger and Bridget, in the mindless suburban town of Bailey Downs. On the night of Ginger's first period, she is savagely attacked by a wild creature. Ginger's wounds miraculously heal, but something is not quite right. Now Bridget must save her sister and save herself. So, why did you choose Ginger Snaps as your favorite movie? It's like my favorite movie. It's so good. And I, I kind of just found it. It was like one of those movies that they just like play on sci-fi constantly. Mm. <laughs> and you just kind of like sit there and flip through it. Um, I kind of found this movie when I was, like, 17. It came out in, like, 2000. Yes. So I found it a lot later in life, right when I needed it. And the thing I love about these two characters is the movie starts, and they're very morose, mm -hmm. very dark. The whole opening scene is them just taking pictures of themselves dead for a school project. <laughs> and they're very dark and twisted and they I, I wrote it down my favorite part of the whole movie is they have a pact that they're going to kill themselves together when they're 16 and she goes out by 16 or dead on the scene together forever united as life as we know it <laughs> and i was like they get me <laughs> and uh the character ginger who's played by uh katherine isabel i think is the most beautiful person i've ever seen in my life she is so Drop dead gorgeous, but I was like, she's such a pretty girl. Why is she like that? <laughs> I always feel like that too when I see that in movies. And I just identified with that so much. And I was like, oh my God, you can be pretty, but also like want to kill yourself a whole bunch. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, she gets me. <laughs> you know, there's like this one scene when they're sitting in the basement and she has this like giant knife for some reason because they take all these like suicide pictures constantly. She goes, yes, yeah, living your wrist is for girls. I'm going to cut my throat. And I also really like this movie. It's like the themes in it. It's like kind of putting, like becoming a woman and going through puberty, but like relating that to also becoming a werewolf. <laughs> and so she like gets her period and it's like the end of the world. But then she also gets attacked and all of a sudden she's going through all these changes but she's going through changes and becoming a woman, but also, is she becoming a woman or a werewolf? <laughs> what do we know? And she's just like hot. She's so hot. This whole movie, I'm just like, I wanna fuck her. <laughs> well, it's problematic because she's a high school kid, so. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah, there was a scene where like, she is like fully, transformed into woman werewolf and she's just like walking around the high school in a trench coat and nothing else. <laughs> like, yes. She definitely owned her sexuality, I would say. Um, but she, I love the scene where she was with the boy in the car. Yes. And like, <laughs> she tries to get on top and he's like, whoa, who's the boy here? And then she bites him in the neck. 
and like holds him down and just fucks him. And she's like, yeah, you're going to be here. And he's like flailing and like screaming, but like into it kind of, I think. <laughs> and like part of her becoming like this wear being is she got like really cute, like blonde highlights, like right in the front. <laughs> And, like, she comes to school with, like, a crop top and a choker, and she's just, like, going down the hall, and there's, like, music, and everyone's like, oh, my God, look at Ginger. Mm-hmm. And then her poor sister, Bridget, is just, she's such a nice girl. I identified with Bridget as a nice girl. <laughs> and she's just trying to find solution, solutions to all this, and she's trying to help her sister, and her sister's like, no, I'm going to, like, fuck dudes. <laughs> She was aggressively sexual. Um, I like. I identified with Bridget in that way, though, because I felt like um, I was a late bloomer in that arena of like wanting to pursue men and be a sexual being. I just didn't care, and so like I thought the werewolf was a very unique metaphor in that my friends are beasts now. <laughs> like, <laughs> We're at Beast Village. <laughs> we are. Oh my God, y'all fucking. Hmm? No. <laughs> Uh, but I love the metaphor for, um, you know, the change as a werewolf because I didn't, man, when I got my period, I did not feel like sexually empowered or I just felt sad and crampy. <laughs> You're like, this is my life now. Yeah. I got to do this all the time. We. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, we're just going to tell the end of the movie. So she like fully transforms in her. Ginger does, and her sister has to make a decision about how she's going to help her sister, and she wants to help her, and Ginger's like, nah, I'm going to be like a badass werewolf, like, fuck you, and she has to kill her sister. That's how the movie ends, is she has to straight up kill her sister. Or be killed. Or be killed. Mm -hmm. Also, that I like that even when she's like fully transformed, she's like still kind of (laughs) hot. Like... Yeah, she has, like, teeth, and she's, like, gnarling and claws and a tail and, like, all these other horrible things, but they, like, gave her tits. <laughs> they did, yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I, I thought the metaphor was really great um, in that when Bridget was trying to save her sister but realized that she just ultimately couldn't and had to give up, it was a great metaphor for the idea of, like, when you have toxic people in your life, sometimes you just have to cut them out. Like, even if they are your sister. You just have to shoot them with a silver bullet. You have to murder them. (laughs) Any final thoughts on Ginger Snaps? Um, If you haven't seen Ginger Snaps, I also recommend Ginger Snaps Back. (laughs) And Ginger Snaps Back, the beginning of the curse, where where we go 100 years into the past. Oh, the curse. That's great. (laughs) And it's literally, they just make the same movie every single time. And it's always good. (laughs) Awesome. Clap it up for Sarah Maddox, everybody. Thank you for doing the show. All right. Next we have coming to the stage, Jordan Scott Huggins. Hi. Hello. Hey. Assaw, dudes. Assaw, dudes. (laughs) All right. Jordan, why don't you introduce yourselves for our listeners? Uh, My name is uh, coming in a little too hot on this mic, I think. Uh, Hey, my name is Jordan. I'm also a comic... We really stacked this podcast lineup with New York comics, I feel like. Uh, mm-hmm. We're just so starved for stage time. Um, <laughs> there's going to be bookers here, right? Uh, yeah, so I'm from New York. I'm originally from uh, North Carolina, though, so uh, I don't know if that qualifies me more or less, but just a North Carolina boy, so cool. Cool. Awesome. So for us to talk about, Jordan shows Mars Attacks. Yeah, I love this movie. <laughs> A fleet of Martian spacecraft surround the world's major cities, and all of humanity waits to see if the extraterrestrial visitors, as they claim, have come in peace. Um, this movie has so many big stars in it. I actually forgot about that when I rewatched it. It's it's, sta- it's like really stacked with like a whole bunch of people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, Jordan, why did you choose Mars Attacks? Uh, it's okay. So, it's not a horror movie, but it really it it screwed me up when I was like. <laughs> it, so, it came out in '96, I think, and then um, I watched it when I was like, I was like 10, 10 years old, I think. And I was living in 
Guam bragging. Uh, and uh, <laughs> my dad, I was, living, I was staying for the summer with my dad, staying with my dad for the summer in Guam. And then he like picked it up on a whim. Uh, and he's like, this is going to be good. And then we watched it. And it was so terrifying that that night, I woke up like throwing up, like puking. <laughs> I puked in my bed. And then we like, did, it was like a weird, touchy subject between my stepmother, who I had just met. And so it was just like, um, I don't know, maybe it wasn't about the movie that all that happened, you know, but it just really screwed with me. I don't know. Like, yeah, I think yeah. we've uncovered something deeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We just, <laughs> forget the movie. Let's talk about my problems, huh? Uh, we can get into it. It's yeah. a... Uh, you said something last night that was interesting. We were talking about it, and you said uh, something that was really poignant. I was like... Uh, this was a movie, it was, it was a Tim Burton movie, which I didn't realize until you brought it up, but it was like uh, that, I forgot what you said, you, I brought it up. But uh, my that. roommate and I were laughing about how we miss Tim Burton making movies we want to see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was okay, and he had some good movies, I was like looking through, and there's some great ones in there, but yeah, I didn't really care about some recent just the eye, like when he started messing with people's facial features. Yeah. You know, the eyes get too big and stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, what about Mars Attacks really scared you? Uh, I, I, I've thought about this for years. I think it's like, it is, so it's a live movie and there's some animation stuff with the, but I think it's like these, like some of the surreal, surrealist elements of it, of like, I don't know if it's just me coming into consciousness as like a prepubescent boy, but. There's like like you've seen the movie then like Jack Nicholson who's the president of the United States which would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> oh, but I'd he give like, that so he, much more now. <laughs> it's like contrarian to every you know war invasion movie we've ever seen where he just keeps extending the olive branch and uh, he keeps getting fucked over for it. He keeps he literally gets stabbed in the back by <laughs> a hand and so I don't know why I think I was just struggling with. <laughs> The, 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 the worst morality of human nature. I was just like, oh, this is what people are like all the time, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, and we, we were talking last night. That's what I mentioned as well. What I love about this movie is at every opportunity, um, in, when they meet, humans are like, oh, this is great. We can meet new life forms. And <laughs> aliens are always like, Oh, great. Yes, <laughs> sure. And then we murder you. And like, yeah. at any given chance the aliens will say, like, we come in peace, we're your friends, and then just murder, murder, murder. And uh, I feel like I have some people like that in my life. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, so it's fun to rewatch, especially seeing Jack Nicholson do the dual characters of the yeah. casino owner and the president. He's like, uh, yeah. It's almost weird seeing him be, a, like, as the president, he's kind of a wholesome guy. Like, the character is kind of wholesome, which is... Like, he just has an evil face, you know? So it's like, so I, I yeah, that wasn't a, yeah. It was, it was like that. And then there was, there was so many great big, act, like Glenn Close and then Natalie Portman, Jack Black's in it. Uh, Jim Brown, I really, he's, I loved his character. He was the mummy or the whatever, like the, the, mum, the, not the mummy, but the fighter. Yeah. yeah, he's like the casino security guard. But he's also like, I was like looking him up. He's like the all time, like, fourth or fifth all-time pass rusher in the NFL, like, forever, uh, which is nuts. And then he just, like, punches. And there's that scene where he, like, he just... <laughs> these, these aliens have incredible technology that just burns people to ashes. And then he challenges them to, like, a back-alley fist fight, and they <laughs> lay down their weapons, and then he kills them all. He just punches them. Just something about that seems cool. I wish I could pu just punch aliens, you know? I don't know. What I loved about that was that there was a universal understanding that fighting mano y mano is like yeah. <laughs> it somehow has more honor than using weapons. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's interesting because like e earlier in the movie they make a they talk about how like they are like kind of androgynous aliens. Like they may not they <laughs> may not be male and females, but they're still fucking man enough to put up a fight. You know, it's like it's just this weird like. They're, they're men, women, you know, aliens, and then they still are exerting some of these, like, male 
dominated, I don't know, characteristics or whatever. Yeah, the whole film had a sense of machismo in the way that, um, you know, we tried to fight the aliens and the yeah, aliens yeah. constantly fighted us, fought us, I know words. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what ultimately ended up killing the aliens is yodeling. <laughs> yeah, what's well, that? <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, it's just like yeah, Slim Whitman was that, uh, and uh, I yeah, he was like I like country music, and they're just like yeah, yodeling, mm -hmm. that old western, just yeah, the the tumbleweed and all that stuff. But. Yeah, I thought that was a really beautiful metaphor for conflict resolution and like thinking of ways <laughs> outside of violence. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bring in yodeling. Yeah, and I mean, I guarantee if you're having problems on city transit and you start yodeling, no one will fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts on Mars Attacks, Jordan? I, uh, no. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> you can go watch it. Uh, I do think, on a side note, it's unfair. Uh, Matt went to film school, so he prepared a lot more than the rest of us. Uh, <laughs> And I think it shows. So, okay, cool. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for doing the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We have one last movie to talk about. Are you all into it? Yeah. Awesome. Welcome to the stage right now, Chris Schlitling. Yeah. Hey. Hey, Chris, why don't you introduce yourselves to our listeners? Hello, everybody. My name is Chris Schlitling. I'm a comic in Iowa. Um, yeah, I've been doing it for about 10, 12 years. I also teach high school. Oh, what do you teach? Speech, public speaking. I basically oh. just do my act for the kids. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they have to laugh because I grade them, so it's like. <laughs> That's a fabulous setup. Oh. Awesome, okay, so for us to talk about today, Chris chose the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Mm. Right? <laughs> yeah, I don't need to tell you what it's about. It's fantastic. Why did you pick this particular film? Okay, so let me set the mood. 1999, uh, I take a girl that I have a huge crush on to the theater to see this movie. Now, <clears throat> before I saw this movie, they actually released, the people that did Blair Witch, they did a documentary or a mockumentary, a fake documentary on uh, the legend of the Blair Witch, right? So I watched it, and I was like, oh, I think this, this is real. That's how they marketed it, that this was real found footage. Now, my first hit, it was on the Sci-Fi channel. I probably should have been like, this is probably not real. But So that added to the suspense of going to see the movie. So I remember taking this girl and being all excited. And then after the movie, it wasn't even about her. It was about like what just happened. I just remember... I know, I remember like going home, I'm 17 years old, and like considering like waking up my mom, like can we hang out for a little bit or something, like, <laughs> I know, do you know what I mean, like bringing your pillow and just laying on the floor and like, hey mom, we need to catch up, uh, <laughs> that's how weird it felt, mm -hmm. I just felt like I should not, uh, I think we talked a little bit last night, too. My, I grew up on horror movies. My dad used to take me to, I remember vividly going to see, like, Dr. Giggles in the theater and Leprechaun. And so I was familiar with horror movies, but this just felt weird. I remember my dad went through, you guys remember Faces of Death? You guys ever heard of that? Mm -hmm. um, I remember watching a couple of those when I was way too young, and that did not feel right. The Blair Witch Project felt kind of like the same vibe of like, I should not be watching these people die. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, mom, I just felt really uncomfortable. So, yeah. yeah, I personally, I hate camping and this movie cemented that. Also, that's a, that's a huge factor too. I do not like camping either. And I think, I think eventually you're gonna ask me about themes, but I think the <laughs> woods, like the woods is just sort of a crazy place. One thing about the movie too, you don't see the Blair Witch at all. And I think that's really trippy in terms of you are creating, you know, the idea of what she is. And just like I've been also theorizing that maybe there was no Blair Witch. You know, maybe there, maybe it was just the, the thing of being lost and being confused and the woods is eventually what, you know, got them. I don't know. But 
there's a lot of different possibilities. Yeah, I love a film that like doesn't show you the villain and makes you like create with your imagination what's really happening. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the characters in the film, um, you know, there was the heightened arguing, everything yep. was going wrong, and then they get lost, and then it's dark, and everything was just terrifying. Yep. Uh, so I could see that like paranoia mounting. And just the way they made the film, like I did a little bit of research, but. Uh, they didn't have like a script. They had like a 30 page, like kind of rough outline. So everything they did was like improvised. And to make them more irritable, they would, every day, they would take away more and more food. So they shot the film. I think it took them like three weeks or whatever. So every day they'd have less and less food, which made it more irritable. And they had no idea half the time what was going on. In the movie, there's a scene where Josh is gone. They did not tell the other characters that they were gonna take him out of the tent. They told Josh, hey, I want you to leave in the night. And they were legitimately freaking out, like where, what happened, what went wrong. So it was kind of a boot camp uh, way wow. to make a film. Yeah. I didn't know that. And yeah. as a union organizer, that really offends <laughs> yeah. me. <that> they <laughs> yeah. Wow, I can't believe they would do that yeah. to actors. Um, so like, what themes did jump out at you in this film? Well, like I said, the woods, I think, is a trippy place. And like you mentioned camping. I hate camping. Mm, and it just sucks. can play tricks on you, any sound. Um, and you knew it was coming. They were lost. And the nights were the worst. And you knew eventually they were going to you know, put that tent down. And then you knew. So in the theater, I'm like, oh, God, please. Night's coming. Night's coming. And that's when you know, shit kind of hit the fan. Um, I also think one thing that's interesting about found footage films which I think the Blair Witch kind of set the precedent for it, you know what I mean? I, th I think there were other ones, but a lot of people copied it, is if this was really happening, at what point do you maybe just put the camera down and focus on surviving? You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> Heather, the main character, was really ambitious to film this documentary that she was doing, and the other guys, Mike and Josh, were like, you need to stop filming. I, there were countless times in the movie where, like, put the camera down, but that was essentially our movie. Like we needed that to happen. They would not. They they couldn't put the camera down. So I, thought I would that have was broken her camera. A lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people. You know, I think Blair, the Blair Witch Project is either you loved it or you hated it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I talk. I told my wife I was gonna do it, the Blair Witch Project, and she was like, "Why? We wanted our money back when we saw that." Oh. And I was like, "We should talk about our relationship now because I'm not happy <laughs> with that." Uh, no, but uh, I just remember she wa she wanted it out of the theater. She felt sick. It's a very uh, motion sickness kind of movie. Mm. But I think that just adds to like, is this real or not? I did like I remember I remember watching it and being like the whole time, this is real, this is real. But I do remember this is cheesy how they're acting. You know how they're interacting with each other. So that was kind of destroying the illusion of this being real a little bit. But I mean, I don't know. They were definitely paranoid about being lost. So. Yeah, I love the scene where it's just Heather like pointing the camera at herself, mm -hmm. and I think that's the scene that is most iconic from the film and Definitely. most most mocked, really. Yeah. Um, but I, in like rewatching it, I experienced such sadness in like watching this person like apologize to everyone, thank their mom and dad. Yeah, and, like, and essentially it really accept the fact like, that she was gonna die. That was yeah. essentially her goodbye. Um, and you, we talked a little bit about, Nightmare, you guys talked about Nightmare Before Elm Street, but like Johnny Depp going, that's an iconic scene. And I think that scene from the Blair Witch Project is one of the more iconic scenes. And that was her, I read a little bit that, you know, it's kind of off-centered. She's like in the right corner of it. And that was her filming herself and the director kind of liked that you can like see up her nostrils. Like I remember that being kind of weird and just like crying hysterically, but the director liked that. So they went with that. But. I think that's definitely one of the more crucial scenes in the movie where she's like, this is it. If you find this, I'm sorry. She, that's essentially what she's doing. She's apologizing mm -hmm. to Josh's family, Mike's family. Yeah, kind of sad, kind of moving. Mm -hmm. Like, and I rewatched this movie too, and I kind of felt silly. Do you know what I mean? Because now I get it. And they did the sequel, which was awful. Like, <laughs> It takes a lot for me to turn a movie off in the middle. You know what I mean? I was like, this is not. And then they also did the remake, which was had a lot of hype. But I wasn't, I wasn't too much a fan of that one. I don't know if you guys saw the remake they recently came out with. Um, just didn't do it for me. The illusion was gone. I think it's a good one and done. If you've never seen it, you know, watch it. And also tell yourself it's real. That'll help. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that 
it was a magical that's time crucial. because the internet yeah, had just come into our crucial. lives yeah. and uh, so we didn't know, you know, yeah. what's real, what's not. Any final thoughts on the Blair Witch? I think I wanted to leave you guys with this. Uh, the Blair Witch Project is, it had its record beat, but it's like the second lowest budget film and the highest grossing. They only made it for $60,000 and they grossed over like something around $250, $250 million. So what that tells me is that we have the power to create films if we're creative and we have a good marketing campaign. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and ironically, the, the movie that surpassed it was Paranormal Activity, which is also a found footage. Oh. So it's kind of Blair Witch Project set that up. So Kind of a DIY Get out feeling. there. Get in the woods. Yeah. Make some films. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, it has been super fun reliving the 90s with all these movies. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I want to thank Beast Village for having me here for this. Uh, this was our first time. I think it was a success. Uh, I loved it. Yeah. I also want to thank Facets in Chicago for lending me so many of these movies to watch. And uh, thank you all for being here. This has been great.